Hey, what's going on out there, everybody? Welcome to another Addicted Fishing Podcast. Sitting here in studio with Mr. Clint Laurie. You're back by popular demand, right? Yeah. It, in fact, the, the outpouring response was so much that people actually wanted to hear Clint. Well, actually, I didn't read any of the comments, and that's probably a complete lie. Did you read any comments? Did people go, what the heck is Clint doing in the podcast? No. no. I don't even. I don't know. One, not one of my friends even texted me, so I don't know. <laughs> but I do have a face for a podcast, so <laughs> me too, buddy. <laughs> I hear you on that one. I hear you on that one. But Spe- we're out here. Speaking of faces for podcasts, though, who else do we got? We have Mister Sam Baird, <laughs> the hashtag anti pro himself. How's it going, Sam? Hey, pretty good, guys. How y'all doing? Doing good. And uh, yeah, Clint doesn't have a face for a podcast. Clint has a face for prison. <laughs> well, he's been there a few times. Yeah, yeah. I can only guess. Yeah. I can only imagine. I'm not talking about it. I'm just kidding. I'm yeah, I wasn't either. <laughs> I've never even been arrested. I have yeah, taken okay. a ride in a cop car, but I've never been arrested. <laughs> I wish I could say the same. Oh my gosh. Well, Sam Baird, this is the first time joining on our podcast. You have Slammin' Sam's Guide Service, correct? Slammin' Salmon Guide Service. Slammin' Salmon. Yeah, the Slammin' Sam name actually got stolen from me a couple years ago by a different guide. Or the Slammin' Sam name. Slammin'. Well, where's that guy at? We need to find him. I'm kidding. It's not a guy. It's a girl. Okay. Yeah, we won't talk about that. <laughs> it may have caused a social media uproar. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're used to Pretty uproars. You're used to uproars, yeah. right? But normally I'm the one causing them. Oh, oh true that. Yeah. True so that. if somebody else brings the heat, I'm not used to that. Ah. Uh, interesting. You know, that's how this industry is. It's the one who strikes first, right? This sounds like this could this story could be its own podcast. Yeah, I'm kind of like this story could be its own podcast. It involves all kinds of fun stuff. Interesting. Yeah. Stay tuned. We'll talk about <laughs> yeah. this. We're going to talk about this <laughs> offline and see what's going on. But no, Samson, you're sitting over there. Where, where whereabouts do you live, and whereabouts do you guide? And tell us a little bit about your guide service. So I live in uh, Wenatchee, Washington. So right smack dab in the middle of the state. Uh, where I guide is pretty much just the upper stretches of the Columbia River. I don't go down there and play game, play down there in the lower river with all you guys. I stay up here in the land of the boots. Um, basically, so what I guide is a limited season of, uh, I do April, May, and June on Lake Chelan for kokanee, which is actually a, a, a very popular fishery for us up here. It's a tourist destination lake. So we get a lot of people that travel there and, a lot of folks, when they get there, they don't have much else to do, so they want to go fishing, and we hit that. Um, and then July and August, I fish sockeye at the, uh, on the Upper Columbia, basically from Wenatchee to Brewster. We uh, chase the fish up there, and most people know the Brewster Pool fishery because uh, it's an absolute it, – it's basically our Drano toilet bowl or our buoy tent. It's an absolute zoo, but it's fun. And then uh, August, September, I chased the fall chinook on the Hanford Reach. Um, so that's basically pretty much my seed, my guide season that I run. What do you do the rest of the year? Uh, the rest of the year, honestly. So the whole reason why I started this this business was I'd always kind of been in the corporate world, believe it or not. And a lot of people don't get that about me. But uh, I've, uh, I walked away to do this so that I could have more 
more kind of free time uh, to do my own fishing. And so, like, right when I end my season, I go straight to deer hunting, uh, mm-hmm. go into some elk hunting. And then I basically just travel around and fish. You know, like this year I traveled over and fished with Cam uh, over on your guys' side of the mountain chasing some chrome fish, which I'm not used to over here. Um, but then also started uh, my own line of scent, uh, fishing scent called Slam and Sam's Anti-Pro Scent. Uh, started that up uh, with an established brand uh, with Shane Magnuson of Northwest State Scent. So now literally my off season has become more of more work than when I'm actually fishing, uh, trying to keep up with all that. Of course, the social media, keeping up with my following there. So it's become a full-time job, even though I never expected it to be. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't sound like a bad life. It's not a bad life at all. You know, I, I, I complain sometimes about how hectic things get, the amount of phone calls and messages and, and all that, but you know, in the social media world, we put ourselves out there as fishing guides and someone like me who tries to help everybody to become a better fisherman, uh, and even just a better outdoorsman altogether and offers up information. You know, I'm kind of asking for those people to reach out all the time. And so, you know, get kind of complaining sometimes. I don't get a lot of time to myself, but honestly, I've truly been blessed with, with the life that I live in the outdoors. And it's something that I truly love to share with folks. Well, I mean, it's a blast seeing you at the sportsman shows, seeing you interact with people, but I do have one quick question for you. What's the difference between your gel and oils in your set? Oh my gosh. So that question, I, so (laughs) my answer to everybody that asked that this year, because there was surprisingly a lot, one is a gel and one is an oil. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes the easiest answer may be considered like a smart ask or, or, you know, kind of chirpy at people, but we get asked so many questions that are just kind of like, if you just stop and think about it, it has a very obvious answer. And that question just blows me away. (laughs) I got asked that over and over at the sportsman shows about what the difference was. And I'm like, well, the bottle says it. One's a gel, one's an oil. You know, like the other question that kind of ran on and I had shirts made and everything is how deep uh, as a guide, I, and I guarantee, Cam, you can probably say this oh, too. We get asked <laughs> constantly, how deep? So I went and made some shirts that just say how deep with a question mark. I got some that have a badge on it that say the how deep police. Um, <laughs> you know, people, they go out and they spend $100,000 on a boat, and they've probably got $3,000 in electronics. And I don't think anybody ever wants to look at the screen. They just want to keep yelling, how deep? Well, it's pretty easy if you got a hummingbird. I've seen cams, and it's pretty easy to tell exactly where the coconut is. I think that's not necessarily with the brand, but it's just the trust in what the screen is telling you. Well, I mean, and just, just start. Thing is, True. You know, there's so many variables, especially when it comes to coconut. What we're fishing on Lake Chelan right now. Our coconut are backwards from everybody else's. Most people, like when you guys are down at Merwin in the wintertime, early spring, you guys are fishing right on the surface. Five on Chelan, on, on, at Chelan, our fish during the same months are, can be, we're catching them clear down to 150, 160 feet deep. Whoa. And then as, whereas when your water warms and you guys start going deeper, even getting on your downriggers sometimes, our fish are then shallowing. So by the time we hit June with a 70 degree surface temp, our fish are down in 30 feet of water 
and maybe only five to 10 feet deep. What? It's completely backwards. And so people, huh. you know, they go out there and they're looking at that electronics and it's, it's like they don't trust. They're going through these pods of fish at, you know, 70 to 150 yelling how deep, how deep. And I'm like, when well, you see that big yellow blob on your electronics, those are the fish. Run your stuff through the middle of them. People think there's I'm only a hundred thousand under the boat. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's like, they think I'm just being a smart aleck when, you know, I guarantee you every, every interview I've done and people will ask, well, how deep are you catching them? And I'll tell them, you know, 50 to 150. And they think I'm being a smart aleck. Well, something I learned a long time ago, kokanee fishing is not to be a lazy troller. There is no magic depth. And the reason that makes Someone like me successful at it is I'm willing to work at it. If I see fish at 150, I'm dropping gear to 150. If I see fish up at 70, I'm bringing them back up to 70. Moving my gear constantly, trying to keep it within that strike zone. A lot of people want the magic bullet. Another thing that social media has led to is everybody wants the easy answer. Sometimes, to be a good fisherman, it's it's not about easy. They can just message so, you, though, right? Your Facebook page? Oh, just yeah, message. yeah. Most definitely. Message me, text me, <laughs> then call and leave a voicemail. All right. Then write a bad review because I haven't responded because it's 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but that does... <laughs> But, you know, and a lot of the stuff that we teach and a lot of stuff that we say, you know, we always say, you know, the best kokanee lure in the world, the best set, the best, the best bait, the best presentation. But if you, if it's not in front of a fish, it doesn't matter. Like, and I think over here, it's just so weird because, I mean, all of our lakes on the west side, at least to my knowledge, for the most part, you know, we start shallow, um, you know, top 20 feet end up in the, you know, wherever the thermocline end up, ends up establishing where, you know, we get the best growth. Do you, do you guys have um, Do you guys have shrimp in that lake, uh, mysis? Yes, we do. Yep, we have mysis shrimp, and that is one thing that has saved our lake. So See, what, lake Chelan is not, quote-unquote, a good kokanee lake. A good kokanee lake has green water, which is a lot of daphnia bloom. Yes. Our lake is crystal clear. So our fish years ago adapted to eating those mysis shrimp. So our fish have a, a absolute blood red meat. But that's also what causes them to dive so deep uh, during the winter months when there is a large daphne of blue. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so they're 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 preying on the shrimp because I think with us it's it's more like okay they're up on the top, they drop down into that that basically that layer where the sunlight and the temperatures you know bloom the best daphnia, yep. and then they kind of they follow that around where you guys are following the shrimp around. <laughs> and I don't really know like on the in the on the I always say that you know you you east siders basically it's anybody that's you know, 50 miles east of where we're sitting at here in Southwest Washington. But I don't know of any other lake in the state because that that kind of operates like that because I think Roosevelt, it's a surface fishery right now, and then it drops yep. down. And then, like, a lot of our west side lakes, if it's not the top five feet, it's the top 20 feet now, and then they drop down. I mean, is Chelan, is Chelan just unique? Um, do you know of it any other unique. lakes with mice shrimp in it? Um. So most lakes have eradicated their mycy shrimp or never allowed them in. Like the big lakes like Flaming Gorge Reservoir, uh, some of the bigger lakes in California. I I do not know, Cam, of any other lake that fishes like Chelan. And that's where it can be so frustrating to people to come out there. Yeah, they're used to fishing it, this stuff on the west side or even northeast. And then they go to Chelan and it's it's uh, they better bring the big gear. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. And if, if our fish had not adapted, see, when I was a kid, 
a big kokanee out of Chelan, like a giant one, was like eight inches. Mm-hmm. They just had not adapted to using that micey shrimp as a food source yet. And so now that is why they go so deep. I mean, we never used to catch kokanee anywhere in the wintertime besides right on the surface. Then all of a sudden, they started getting a little bigger. And we started noticing these big pods that were actually sinking down and going down after those shrimp before they buried in the mud. What, uh, what size class, like what what size kokanee are you pulling out of Chelan? So the other thing is about kokanee is what a lot of people don't understand. Like guys like me who go out and catch, I mean, I'm normally between two 2,000 and 2,500 a year uh, guiding out of there. And people think that that's an extreme amount, but they don't realize that we actually do have a spawn escapement goal there. Uh, that ranges about eighteen to twenty three thousand. Last year, I think we had a hundred and eighty thousand spawners. So, size is relevant to food source mm-hmm. and population. You know, population density. Um, our our size class this year on the big end, the spawner size will be fourteen to sixteen inches. Um, they never much get bigger than that. Uh, just because of these sheer overall numbers of fish. Yeah. I mean, it is just, it's... But a 16-inch kokanee is still a good kokanee. It's a great kokanee. I mean, if we can average limits, what I always tell everybody is I want 50-50 limits. I want 50% bigs and 50% next year's fish. That gives you, because we have a 10-fish limit, so that gives you a good stringer of fish. Um, About 10 years ago, we had a, a really bad flood that killed off a huge portion of the fish and it actually everybody was like oh no it's horrible it did nothing but good to our lake our fish were averaging 18 to 21 inches and still on a 10 fish limit that would be sweet we Can you will, imagine if Merwin was like that no it, it, it happened one it happened no five six years ago there was a big fish yeah but but then it kind of quickly got inundated with recruitment from yale and over spawning and now it's kind of yeah. back to where yep. it's at yeah we've seen those so we've seen those cycles uh, we've seen those cycles a lot, and that's what produces world records in Oregon lakes and yeah. you yep. know, all the like. Yeah. It, so kokanee, I always consider kokanee the perch of the salmon world. They will overpopulate everything because they're such a prolific breeder. Um, kokanee find a way. They say that, you know, trout, uh, any basically salmonoid species needs flowing water to spawn. But yet we've proved over and over that kokanee will shore spawn if there's not enough room in the tributary yep. creeks. Yeah. So like on Lake Chelan, they only count the two contributary creeks to the Stahican River, which feeds the lake. Now they're finding that these kokanee are not only spawning in those two creeks, but they're spawning in the mainstream Stahican. They're making it up all the feeder creeks, 57 miles down lake, plus they're shore spawning at the mouths of them. So they literally just overpopulate everything. Our fish and game department, we've told them for years, we need a 20, 30 fish limit on Chelan to even try to knock them down. But of course, you know, not being a, a proactive department, they, they just won't listen to us. Well, I mean, even, in, you know, the thing is people have always thought like, okay, bringing those limits up, like Merwin used to have a 16 fish limit. And I think this because of ease of regulation, i.e. laziness they made it a 10 fish limit like kind of everywhere including or excuse me not not merwin but yale had the 16 fish and they brought yep. it down to 10 and they just wanted to have a they wanted to have a consistent consistency between a lot of the lake limits so they went to 10 but the reality is is like even 
as kokanee fishermen, I don't think like you know with the best rods, the best hooks, the best gear in the world, like you are never going to kill them all because you do lose no. some. You do lose a lot of them. Like the reality yeah. is, is like you know what that naive fish bites that bites that bait and all of a sudden wises up. Like I don't think us as anglers are capable of killing all of them, even if the limit was 50. Like, I don't think exactly. there's just yeah. no way we're just not good enough as anglers and the kokanee are just too tricky. Yeah. Well, if you look back in the day, some of the commercial fisheries they had on Ponderay and Coeur d'Alene and Dorshack back, I mean, when I was a little boy, they had commercial fisheries out there where the limit was 600. And they never could <sighs> make a dent in them. <laughs> no That's kidding. Nuts. Just because, yeah, I you just cannot that. catch enough. Well, it was all hand line. It was hand line limits. And you'd get like dads that would get a permit. They'd go out there with their kids and they would literally fill the boat with them. And they never could put a dent in them. Crazy. Well, while so, I got yeah, two kokanee guides on the line here, let's talk about, you talked about depth, right? Just really quick. Yep. What are some other things that you think are important for targeting kokanee? Like, do you think color's important? We got it. Um. I do, and and there and some lakes are, are color specific, some lakes are not. Um, I I the way that I always mention kokanee fishing, and that's where like questions like how deep just drives me nuts. That is one <laughs> part of the equation. There is kokanee fishing is I always compare it to like a ruler, right? It's a straight edge with twelve inches, but if one of those inches is off whack, it's not a straight edge anymore. It's it's getting dialed in. To so depth, colors. I'm a pink, purple, and orange person. The way that I look at color is based upon UV saturation in the water. The clearer your water, the longer they're going to be able to see it. On Lake Chelan, I can see my downriver clip 56 feet below the surface. It's that clear. That's why way dumber. I don't have a a UV (laughs) penetration scale that I use. I just know. Pink works for me at Merwin, and Yale is a green mm-hmm. lake. That's how. That's all I know. Yale's an orange lake. Get the hell out of here. Oh, well, <laughs> it's green for me. That's well. So, funny story, though. If you look at orange, why orange is my all-time favorite color on every lake. If you look at, like, uh, cured corn that is orange, if you pour that liquid in the top surface of your water, like off the edge of your boat, get back to me and tell me what color you see. You will not see orange. You'll see... Uh, chartreuse green that looks like antifreeze mm-hmm. because the uv hitting that orange and with the color of the water changes that color from orange to chartreuse green if you hit orange uh like that ass bait knife from procure has uh uv in it if you dye your your corn orange and then hit it with a black light depending on the angle of that black light that corn changes color everything from yellow to red Sometimes you'll see orange, you'll see that chartreuse green. So I like orange because the way that I kind of have figured on Chelan with depth is wherever, whatever that UV saturation is in the water, wherever that orange is sitting is the color that the fish can see best. Well, Cameron loves orange and loves UV, so this sounds, this sounds <laughs> juicy. I don't have to fish at 150 feet, brother. <laughs> I'm not a very, I'm not a huge proponent of UV just from a ton of like trial and error at my lake. Yeah. You know, like I've done the UV on this side of the boat, you know, done that, played with the lures, play, I mean, fluorescence all day, but 
UV just, uh, I don't know. But what we see and what we perceive as UV as far as like, you know, people put that tape on chrome flashers and they call it UV and it's like, okay, no, that's just reflecting, you know, yeah. the light differently what's available down there. And to me, like chrome reflects the light like the reflects what uv is down there so like we can put the pretty uv moon jelly tapes on the reality is is like whatever light is there is going to be reflected by the dodger like it doesn't create uv it doesn't make uv and so that's always yeah. kind of like been my argument with like some of these <coughs> some of these dodgers where people want to have uv on it but now with the corn like to brighten up the corn like hey you know what if that's if that's working for you i'm never going to argue I'm never going to argue with uh, with your results, especially in that uh, super deep water. So uh, when I go to Chelan one day, it's going to be orange, uh, <laughs> orange UV dyed corn, and uh, and what'd you say, pink, purple, and orange? Got to got to write that down. Pink, purple, orange. You know, I like purple at the, because purple is the last visible color it gets. Yep. And in Chelan, when we're fishing deep like that, we do catch a lot of landlocked teams, and almost all of them come on purple. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, something else that I want to bring up, you know, is another answer to questions that I get hit with a lot is people are like, what is the best thing that you use or what do you catch most of your kokanee on? And my answer just pisses people off. Confidence. It's not a lure. It's not a scent. It's not. If you go, people overthink kokanee to such a max. And they think you have to use certain things. And you know what? If you get it where the fish are and you have a decent bait, they're going to hit it. They are a very, very aggressive fish. Um, Folks think they have to have the secret weapons. I have found things that work a little better on the, Mm -hmm. you know, day in and day out. But. I've also seen people still out there with Ford fenders, steelhead rods, running six ounce banana weights with a night crawler on the end of a hook and just crushing them. Yeah. <laughs> there's not a kokanee lure. There's not a kokanee lure. There's not a kokanee color that hasn't caught kokanee. <laughs> I think exactly. that's kind. Of, I think that's kind of the problem. Is like because there is that huge selection, it's just a giant like silver bullet hunt, thinking that. You know, oh, that two bites I had on the orange rod versus the pink rod. Well, now all the kokanee in the lake went orange. It's like, well, no, chances are the orange rod was, like, actually where some fish were, and the pink one you had, like, 30 feet above them, and uh, that probably didn't get bit because it didn't get in front of them. I've I've argued that for, not argued that, but tried to explain that point for years. So it's so funny listening. Clint and I are sitting here, like, pointing at each other, like, laughing, like, oh, man, you're speaking my language, like, right yeah. now for some well, of these so West Side like, Lakes, too. A funny, one that, a, one, a funny one that happened last year. A buddy of mine went out. I'm a 1.3 mile per hour troller all the time. Winter, spring, doesn't matter. I'm always at 1.3. It's where I'm confident, where I like my gear running. I, a buddy of mine came out there who is an absolute slayer. His kicker motor breaks down. So he's out there trolling around with a 150-horse motor. I don't think he could get up below, like, 2.6. Oh, my. And, I mean, he lost, like, 100 fish that day, but he hooked <laughs> probably 150. So he was out there basically, quote-unquote, doing it all wrong and just slaying them. Because yeah. he knew where the fish were and he knew how to get into them. 
getting something you know, to him, just, delivering it on it, a platter. It it, might, even though exactly. you're going, even though he's going Mach six. <laughs> yep. As long as you go through these pods, and some of these pods we get on Chelan, especially when they get in the lower basin, I always say we end up with 57 miles of fish piled in one mile of lake. And people are like, well, I can't see where the pods are. And I'm like, well, the whole thing's a pod. That's why your fish finder's only reading five feet deep. It's because it's literally wall-to-wall fish from the surface to the bottom. Yeah. That's Man, yeah, I, I think we could talk kokanee for another two hours, but we do got a live feed to jump into. And I like this. Well, I like it because I'm new in, in the podcast, right? So I like bringing in new people and having new experiences and new faces. So it's really cool to have Sam. No, in. we're going to continue this conversation because, you know, you got the sockeye forecast conversation that we need to have. Maybe we'll have you in next week, too. And then we need to talk about some of those kings that are sitting down there at the bottom in the depths of that lake because that, that's one one yeah. fishery that's always interested me. So, Sam, we greatly appreciate you coming on. We've got a live feed to go do. You guys, be sure to be sure to like and subscribe to these podcasts and everything. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again, Sam. All right, man. I'll talk to you. Thanks, Sam. And one last thing, I was out fishing with Marlon. No, really quick, he wants to just give a shout out to everyone that spent the time to to order stuff online for the April Fools. It wasn't a fools. <laughs> it joke. wasn't a fools joke if you went online. <laughs> and you got twenty five percent off everything on the entire store. So he just, you know, everyone uh, flocked to the store, ordered a bunch of stuff. We do appreciate that. Thank you, everyone, and we'll see you on the water later, guys.